0: You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com. Well, you know things are bad for the purveyors of the paranoia propaganda garbage that has defined our post 9 11 world. When even Time Magazine and the New York Times starts calling you out on your paranoia propaganda for the garbage that it is... And I think that the people who have constructed the war on terror reality have long since given up on the uh, on actually making people believe that that is a reality. And it has descended into cartoonish level propaganda that is now, as we speak, trying to turn that apparatus of the police state that was built up in the name of catching those scary bearded Muslims. And of course, it's turning that against the average U.S. citizen. As we know, it was intended to be turned around on all along. But it is interesting to see the unraveling of that entire terranoia propaganda paradigm that has, as I say, taken sway and taken hold over the American population for the past decade. And I have no doubt that every single person who is a regular listener to this broadcast or to this network or to any of the other alternative media sources that are out there will be well informed on these issues and are already 10 steps ahead of me, but I think it is important to go and document just how ridiculous this entire paradigm is and just how much it relies on, well, some very easily disproven falsehoods and uh, some, some underhanded tactics that have been trotted out time and time and time again. Because when you peel back that thin veneer of the sensationalistic headlines that have dominated numerous cases over the past 10 years, you find behind each and every single supposed terror plot in the United States since 9-11, every single one of them were hatched by fbi informants and then the fbi swoops in at the last moment to solve the crime and uh and get garner all the headlines oh the fbi has saved us from yet another deadly terrorist conspiracy plot oh thank you fbi thank you well as i say you know the jig is up when even the time magazines and new york times and other mainstream media corporate lapdog mouthpieces of the world are calling you out on it and even that has begun to happen in recent years so let's cast our mind back to may of 2007 when we had uh, that uh, that meeting uh, the, the the press conference on the steps of the uh, the, the, the courthouse in Camden, New Jersey, where they the officials breathlessly announced to us that they had foiled an attempt by this ragtag band of would-be jihadi anarchists who wanted to take grenades and guns into Fort Dix and shoot the place up and kill American uh, so, uh, servicemen. Oh, I'm sure the people at Fort Dix are quivering in their boots at the, uh, the prospect of these uh, complete nitwits who could probably not even tie their own shoelaces, really doing a lot of damage. But uh, let's use that as the basis for what uh, unravelling some of what this terror paradigm is really about. Back in 2007, Time magazine had its own expose of the Fort Dix conspiracy, in which it noted, quote, A Time investigation of the Fort Dix case shows that it is indeed an important prototype. Six years after 9-11, the U.S. government has begun to settle on a strategy for finding and stopping potential homegrown terrorists. ...before they strike. Fort Dix offers a case study of this new and sometimes precarious method. The model is called preemptive prosecution. And like other preemptive strikes of late, it is risky. It means relying on often unreliable informants to infiltrate insular communities... ...and it means making arrests before anything close to a terrorist attack actually happens. The process sometimes ends with a trial, but not necessarily a conviction... And that may be beside the point. It is, in all, a messy and unsatisfying ordeal, and possibly the best available option. Well, of course, they have to throw that in at the end. Oh, yes, what a great option it is to trump up terror charges against people who could probably not tie their own shoelaces or count to ten even using both hands. But at any rate, we're going to go into this and and document some of these examples over the past several years of FBI-created terror plots tonight on Corporate Report Radio. All right, welcome back to the broadcast, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we are going over the war on terror paradigm as it's played out in the United States over the past, well, going on 11 years now. And uh, what we have seen is a, a very definite plot uh, that has been played out again and again and again almost like it's a script of some sort that they're reading off of and uh constructing these types of phony plots that are absolutely created, funded, trained and supplied by FBI informants and then the FBI goes in and busts their own plot. This is something that a lot of people have uh, noticed over the years, and in fact, even Time Magazine and the New York Times and others are starting to call out. So it uh, certainly serves our interests to document this, and people who were watching or listening to my recent podcast on satire and comedy know that I recently put out a satirical video on this very subject called How to Foil Your Own Terror Plot, and it puts together a lot of this information in a short, pithy, and I hope humorous little five-minute video. But that video used, uh, well, a copious amount of profanities. So for people who had sensitive uh, ears and uh, who don't pr- appreciate the information being put forward in that way. I, I did promise at the time that I would at some point do a dry, sober analysis of this material with the uh, all of the documentation, etc. So here it is. For people who don't appreciate that, uh, that type of uh, humorous take on things, here's the other side of the coin, the dry, sober analysis. If you are interested in seeing that video and are not squeamish about bad words, naughty four-letter words, you can watch that uh, video on CorbettReport.com or on my YouTube uh, channel, etc., etc. The link will be in the show notes for today's episode, as will all of the documents we talk about tonight. Once again, documenting how the FBI creates, funds, supplies, and trains the would-be terrorists in the United States. So let's take a look at this in some more detail. In that first segment, we were reading from that Time magazine article on the Fort Dix conspiracy where they noted this this funny penchant that the FBI has for creating their own terror plots than then busting them. Um, but of course it said it's a, it's a uh, well, the best available option. Right, indeed. Well, five years later, the New York Times is again writing about this very same phenomenon. Again, as if they've just discovered it, as if they've just put the pieces together. But David Shipler had a, a New York Times article back in April of this year called Terrorist Plots Helped Along by the FBI. Let's read from the beginning of that article. It says, quote, the United States has been narrowly saved from lethal terrorist plots in recent years, or so it has seemed. A would-be suicide bomber was intercepted on his way to the Capitol. A scheme to bomb synagogues and shoot Stinger missiles at military aircraft was developed by men in Newburgh, New York. And a fanciful idea to fly explosive-laden model planes into the Pentagon and the Capitol was hatched in Massachusetts. But all these dramas were facilitated by the FBI whose undercover agents and informers posed as terrorists, they're offering a dummy missile, fake C4 explosives, a disarmed suicide vest, and rudimentary training. Suspects naively played their parts until they were arrested. When an Oregon college student, Mohammed Osman Mohammed, thought of as using a car bomb to attack a festive Christmas tree lighting ceremony in Portland, the FBI provided a van loaded with 6 55-gram dr- gallon drums of inert material, harmless blasting caps, a detonator-, detonator cord, and a gallon of diesel fuel to make the van smell flammable. An undercover FBI agent even did the driving with Mr. Mohammed in the passenger seat. To trigger the bomb, the student punched a number into his cell phone and got no boom, only a bust. This is legal, but is it legitimate? Without the FBI, would the culprits commit violence on their own? Is cultivating potential terrorists the best use of the manpower designed to find the real ones? Judging by their official answers, the FBI and the Justice Department are sure of themselves. Too sure, perhaps. Carefully carefully orchestrated sting operations usually hold up in court. Defendants invariably claim entrapment and almost always lose because the law requires that they show no predisposition to commit the crime, even when induced by government agents. To underscore their predisposition, many suspects are warned about the seriousness of their plots and given opportunities to back out, said Dean Boyd, a Justice Department spokesman. But not always, recorded conversations show. Sometimes they are coaxed to continue. Undercover operations, long practiced by the FBI, have become a mainstay of counterterrorism, and they have changed in response to the post-9-11 focus on prevention. Prior to 9-11, it would be very unusual for the FBI to present present a crime opportunity that wasn't in the scope of the activities that a person was already involved in, said Mike German of the American Civil Liberties Union, a lawyer and former FBI agent who infiltrated white supremacist groups. An alleged drug deal would be set up, drug dealer would be set up to sell drugs to an undercover agent, an arms trafficker to sell weapons. That still happens routinely, but less so in counterterrorism and for good reason. There isn’t a business of terrorism in the United States, thank God, a former federal prosecutor David Raskin explained. You are not going to be able to go to a street corner and find somebody who's already blown something up, he said. Therefore, the usual goal is not to find somebody who's already engaged in terrorism but find somebody who would jump at the opportunity if a real terrorist showed up in town. And that's the gray area. Who is susceptible? Anyone who plays along with the agents, apparently. Once the snare is set, law enforcement sees no choice. Ignoring such threats is not an option, Mr. Boyd argued, given the possibility that the suspect could act alone at any time or find someone else willing to help him. We'll end the quotation there. The, uh, The story goes on for several more paragraphs talking about some more examples, but that certainly does seem a pretty general overview and perhaps a bit uh, lenient on the FBI in a lot of cases, but a fair overview, I guess, so far as it is, and especially appearing as it does in the paper of record, the New York Times. So what is going on here? Why on earth is Time Magazine and the New York Times coming along and well, spilling the beans on something that we've all known for many years, but that the general public may not have cottoned onto yet—that all of these terror plots are being manufactured by the same investigative agency that is supposedly foiling them. Well, I think this is really the the coming out into the open of the the well. The, it's kind of a magician's trick, I guess, of pulling the the tablecloth out from underneath the the set table all the plates remain on the table. In this case the tablecloth is, is Al-Qaeda the, the, the terrorist boogeyman that they, they were trying to convince us was the real cause of all of this Department of Homeland Security and the TSA pat-downs and all of this. Oh look the scary bearded Muslims. They're going to kill us. Look, look at the Fort Dick 6 look at the Liberty City 7 look at the Ohio, Ohio 5. All of, these, all of these people who have uh, come along in the last several years and been trotted out for their photo ops to show what, uh, what terrible people are plotting to blow things up in the U.S. And uh, and that's been done so over and over in order to create that sense that the tablecloth is what's important. And now they're doing the little magician's trick. They're flicking the tablecloth out and all the plates, the, the Department of Homeland Security, the TSA, the, the infrastructure of the police state, the, the destruction of posse comitatus, all of that stays on the table even when the tablecloth is removed because everyone has been conditioned into the new war on terror paradigm. It's not about the bearded Muslim scary men per se. It's just about anyone anywhere being a potential thought criminal. And if they can affect this, if they can pull that tablecloth out and make us all forget what we were supposedly fighting for the past 10 years with all of this police state apparatus, then basically the public will have completely bought into the agenda that was laid out well, well before 9/11 ever happened, but of course 9/11 was the precipitating catalyzing event that made all of this possible. So let's look at some of these plots in some more detail because, again, it is the exact same thing, literally the same thing, over and over and over and over. FBI informants find a bunch of nitwits who are truly intellectually challenged uh, people with, uh, with delusions of grandeur. And uh, they they find these people, they arm them, they train them, they fund them, they supply them, they give them a place to stay, and they coax them along in their little plots until finally they uh, they go swoop in and bust them. And again, it happens so many times; it's not even funny, I suppose. Although I did make my humorous video about the phenomenon because once again, it's one of those self-parodying things. But let's let's take a look at some examples. So let's go back to uh, to one of the. Uh, one of the ones that has uh, really set, I think, the paradigm in a lot of ways it was the Liberty City 7, and it was a bunch of people in Miami who were plotting, supposedly, to uh, blow up the Sears Tower, etc., and all of these types of things. Uh, just uh, just a ridiculous plot in so many ways. And, uh, well... Let's, let's take a look at uh, what some of the things that, uh, that, that were really behind this. And first, let's take a look at the way that this was introduced to the world. So we'll take this from The Telegraph. Why not? Uh, it's, it had a, an article in June of 2006, sect-inspired leaders of Sears Tower plot. It says, quote, The alleged ringleader of a terrorist cell that planned to blow up the Sears Tower in Chicago was an adherent of an obscure black Islamist sect, That was first investigated by America's Federal Bureau of Investigation in the 1950s, relatives said yesterday. According to an FBI indictment, Nazriel Batiste, 32, wanted to build an Islamic army to wage war against the United States government and provide material support to Al-Qaeda. He and the six other accused lived in Miami. Relatives said that Batiste, described as a Moses-like figure, who roamed his neighborhood wearing a robe and carrying a crooked wooden cane as he recruited young men, based his teachings on those of the Moorish Science Temple of America. (laughs) it is so cartoonish it is so ridiculous this moses-like figure walking the streets with his crooked cane and his uh, his robes and this is somehow the boogeyman that we're all supposed to be shaking in our boots thinking about and of course as the plot unravels it gets even more ridiculous but let's take a short time out we'll take a breather And we'll come back exposing more about the Liberty City 7 plot and some of the other ridiculous terror plots that have been cooked up, trained, funded, supplied, and sealed and delivered by none other than your Federal Bureau of Investigation right after these messages. Welcome back to the program, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And tonight we are going over the various ways that the FBI has concocted and then foiled its own terror plots. And the phone lines will be open for tonight if you want to get into... To laugh at the ridiculous nature of some of the plots the FBI has asked the public to swallow, or if you're one of those people out there who maybe you really do cower in your bed at night dreaming about the Al-Qaeda boogeyman that's coming to get you, Uh, either way, by all means, get in on the conversation, 1-800-313-9443. But let's continue uh, talking about some of these ridiculous plots. And here we are going through the the Miami uh, Liberty City 7 plot that was... uh, That was trotted out in front of the public in 2006. And there, uh, before the break, we were talking about this uh, Telegraph article, sect-inspired leaders of Sears Tower plot. That's talking about this ridiculous Moses-like figure who was part of this Moorish science temple of America that supposedly was trying to recruit an army to wage war against the United States government. And this army consisted of Grand total of seven basically homeless uh, shifter people who were living in a warehouse and literally were uh, getting their daily bread from the FBI. Um, it's just a ridiculous story the more you look into it. And I will direct you to a daily show episode that I put in my FBI, How to Foil Your Own Terror Plot, a humorous video, and I put it in episodes of Sunday Update before. Because uh, John Stewart did an excellent job of breaking this down and showing parts of the uh, press conference where the uh, Attorney General uh, Gonzalez was talking about this. and oh it was such a deadly plot and these men oh they were going to do such uh, such horrible things they wanted to raise an army etc etc and then they show some of the uh, questions from the press during that press conference basically asking well do these guys have any any actual weapons or any bombs or anything that uh, any technical knowledge to com- commit any of the acts they were talking about well, no, not really. Did they have any actual plans? Like, was, was there anything operational? Well, no, we would say it was more aspirational. Did they have any contact with Al-Qaeda? Uh, no, they didn't. Uh, it was just such a humorous breakdown of what this plot really was as opposed to what they were telling us what it was. But the first... Inklings that something was really wrong in this story for those who needed it from the mainstream came from the Washington Post in September of 2006 when they ran an article FBI role in terror probe questioned standing in an empty Miami Miami warehouse on May 24th with a man he believed had ties to Osama bin Laden a dejected Nazarelle Batiste talked of the setbacks to their terrorist plot and then uttered the words that helped put him in a federal prison cell I want to fight some jihad he allegedly said that's all I live for What Batiste did not know was that the bin Laden representative was really an FBI informant. The warehouse in which they were meeting had been rented and wired for sound and video by bureau agents who were monitoring his every word. Within a month, Batiste, 32, and six of his compatriots were arrested and charged with conspiracy to aid a terrorist organization and bomb a federal building. On June 23rd, Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez held a news conference to announce the destruction of a terrorist cell inside the United States, hailing our commitment to preventing terrorism through energetic law enforcement efforts aimed at detecting and thwarting terrorist attacks. But Court records released since then suggest that what Gonzalez described as a deadly plot was virtually the pipe dream of a few men with almost no ability to pull it off on their own. The suspects have raised questions in court about the FBI informant's role in keeping the plan alive. The plot featured self-proclaimed militant religious leaders who referred to themselves as kings, talking of establishing their own nation inside the United States, called their headquarters an embassy, and discussed plans to train their recruits to use bows and arrows. (laughs) One of their quixotic notions was to blow up Chicago's Sears Tower. (laughs) Batista's father, a Christian preacher and former contractor who lives in Louisiana, told the news media after the indictment that his son was not in his right mind and needed psychiatric treatment. Since the September 11, 2001 attacks, separating serious terrorist plotters from delusional dreamers has proved one of the FBI's most challenging tasks. The effort is complicated by the Bureau's frequent use of informants who sometimes play active roles in the plotting. So once again, yet again, the mainstream media sort of slipping in a little bit of truth in in amongst all the, the crap that they are generally feeding the public. But that's the point, isn't it? They always lead with the sensationalistic headlines. Terror plot busted. Oh, we've got those terrorists. They were plotting to blow up the Sears Tower. And then months later, they'll quietly issue the retraction and say, oh, you know those scary bearded Muslim men we were talking about who were going to start an Islamic jihad war against America? Uh, turns out they were a bunch of mentally deformed, uh, uh, horrible individuals who could barely uh, live on their own and, in fact, were living in a rented FBI-rented warehouse and had absolutely no ability to pull off the plot they were talking about. Oh, we, we forgot to tell you about that. And, oh, yeah, it was all kind of the FBI informant's idea. but uh, But don't let that bother you. Well, again, the Liberty City 7 idea just continued to unfold uh, through the years. In 2007, the Miami New Times had this article, Liberty City 7 trial travesty. One extorted $7,000 from a friend who raped his girlfriend and then, after accepting the money, beat her up and went to jail. The other failed an FBI polygraph test while working on an undercover investigation, which one former FBI agent says should have disqualified him from ever working for the government again. Oh, and he was also once charged with roughing up women. Oh, and these are supposed to be the good guys. So this article starts to get into the FBI informants that the FBI is using to basically prop up these uh, terror plots and uh, then they'll go in and bust them. So um, some very disreputable figures who are clearly in it for the money that they get paid by, f- by the FBI for actually making these groups seem like a threat. And the FBI gets the PR victory of going in and busting another terror plot, thus justifying their budgets and justifying the police state. It is one big self-fulfilling prophecy and it needs to stop. More on these FBI terror plots right after this. Okay, friends, welcome back to this night's edition of Corbett Report Radio, and tonight we are going through and documenting and putting in on the record some of the ridiculous terror plots that the FBI itself trained and funded and hatched and plotted and schemed into existence by paying informants to go in, stir the pot, create ridiculous plots, and then busting them at the last second, supposedly. Well, let's get into some more of these details. And just before the break, we were looking at a Miami New article about the Liberty City 7 trial from 2007. And uh, let's continue reading from that article, which goes on to make an important point. It says, quote, All of America has heard about the bizarre Liberty City 7 t- terrorism trial now winding down at the federal courthouse in Miami. It began with the arrest of seven members of an obscure religious sect in June of last year. At a nationally televised news conference, then U.S. attorney uh, Alberto Gonzalez told the country that the dirt poor black defendants were prepared to wage a full ground war on the United States. It made for a sensational soundbite and a temporary diversion for the administration, a moment of seeming victory in the war on terror, a fleeting quiet place in the growing public clamor about illegal wiretaps and the growing disaster in Iraq. But FBI brass were a bit more realistic. They cautioned that the ineffectual group was more aspirational than operational. Today, that that, that even seems a bit overstated. Forget about America. This was a ragtag group that couldn't wage a ground war on a jar of peppercorns. The question at the heart of the farce, was the group's leader, Nazrael, brother Naz Batista, really bent on destroying the Sears Tower in Chicago? Or was he simply trying to beat a couple of government informants posing as al-Qaeda operatives out of $50,000? The jury will try to answer that question, and if it chooses guilty, the defendants could be sentenced to 70 years in prison each. But what of those two informants? Who were these guys who posed as al-Qaeda jihadi, Who acted acted as America's frontman in a terror investigation that is now known around the world? What motivated them? The answer to that question is painfully obvious, and it's the same thing that Batista says was motivating him. Cold, hard cash. All right, I'll let you continue reading that article talking about the informants who were behind the... The, that liberty city 7 plot but it does make an important point that of course the the informants are in it for the money the people that they are paying are in it for the money who are usually unemployed and unemployable and homeless people who literally can't make ends meet from day to day and suddenly someone's coming along offering them tens of thousands of dollars if they'll just go and take some video of this building or uh, it's put on record that they want to blow up that building And suddenly they're getting all this money and things are good until the FBI comes in and busts them. It's win-win-win. The the people who are homeless get a place to stay, like the FBI created, rented, funded, and... uh secretly surveilled warehouse for the Liberty City 7 the informants get paid for their part in the role and the FBI as I say gets the PR victory getting to have that uh, dramatic press conference where they talk about how they busted a terror plot that was prepared to wage ground war on the (laughs) United States yes seven homeless men living in a warehouse were prepared to wage a ground war and start jihad against the United States yes I'm sure Americans should be shaking in their boots about that prospect Well, let's continue this thread to its inevitable conclusion. In December of 2007, the New York Times notes U.S. falters in terror case against Seven in Miami. Quote, one of seven indigent men charged with plotting to blow up the Sears Tower in Chicago as part of an Islamic jihad was acquitted on Thursday. And a mistrial was declared in the prosecution of the six others after the jury said it was hopelessly deadlocked. The outcome was a significant defeat for the Bush administration, which had described the case as a major crackdown on homegrown terrorists. Officials had had acknowledged that the defendants, known as the Liberty City 7 for the depressed section of Miami where they frequently gathered in a rundown warehouse, had never acquired weapons or equipment and had posed no immediate threat. But, the official said, the case underscored a need for preemptive terrorism prosecutions well continue reading that article for what it's worth but uh, goes to show that at least one of the people was uh, was acquitted at the time december 2007 six others had their uh, had the entire thing ruled a mistrial because the jury couldn't come uh, come to a conclusion so they uh, people were had to go back to the the drawing board the prosecutors had to go back to the drawing board as it were and try to convict the other six in this supposed liberty city 7 And let's follow it through to the end, May 2009, CNN.com, five convicted in Liberty City terror trial. Five of six men accused of plotting terrorist acts with Al-Qaeda were convicted Tuesday by a Miami jury after six days of deliberation, authorities said. The six suspects were arrested in June 2006 for allegedly conspiring to blow up buildings, including the 110-story Sears Tower, the nation's tallest building in Chicago, Illinois, the FBI's Miami office, and others. The suspected ringleader, Nazrael Batista, 35, was the only defendant found guilty of all four conspiracy charges, including conspiring to incite a rebellion against the United States, supplying materials to a terror organization and terrorists, and conspiring to destroy buildings with explosives. So, unfortunately, the uh, jury was uh, enough to it uh, was uh, con- uh, led along enough to, by the prosecution to convict these uh, indigent men, as the New York Times called them. That's, that's polite speak for homeless people who uh, literally had absolutely zero ability to wage ground war on the United States. But uh, the jury was convinced that these people needed to be locked up and Well, to the extent that they went along with the FBI's delusions, I suppose. So I guess you get uh, what's coming to you in that regard. But the point of it all is that it was an FBI plot from start to finish, completely furnished with FBI equipment and FBI training and FBI supplies and FBI funding. And it was literally the FBI money that these homeless men were living on in their fbi supplied warehouse as they were supposedly coming up with their scheme to blow up the sears tower of course there's no details of how they were going to do this because well they had no supplies of any kind but uh but somehow that was going to really come together and it was going to be an incredible horrible day of terror right Well, that's the Liberty City 7 plot in a nutshell. It was ridiculous from start to finish. And unfortunately, as has been noted, that is only one of many, 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 many such plots following the exact same line of thinking that has been busted by the FBI, those valiant Federal Bureau of Investigation agents in the past several years. So let's take a look at some other examples. We we mentioned it briefly at the beginning of tonight's broadcast, but let's go back to it. Six charged in plot to attack Fort Dix. A group of would-be terrorists allegedly undone after attempting to have jihad, jihad training videos copied onto a DVD has been charged with conspiring to attack Fort Dix and kill soldiers there with assault rifles and grenades, authorities said Tuesday. Five men, all foreign-born and described as radical Islamists by federal authorities, allegedly trained at a shooting range in Pennsylvania's Pocono Mountains to kill as many soldiers as possible at the historic army base 25 miles east of Philadelphia. A six-man was charged with helping them obtain illegal weapons. FBI and Justice Department officials said the arrests were the result of a 16-month operation to infiltrate and monitor the group. It was portrayed as a leaderless, homegrown cell of immigrants from Jordan, Turkey, and the former Yugoslavia, who came together because of a shared infatuation with Internet images of jihad or holy war. Authorities said the group had no apparent connection to al-Qaeda or other international terrorist organizations aside from ideology, but appears to be an example of the kind of self-directed sympathizers widely predicted and feared by counterterrorism specialists. The defendants allegedly passed around and copied images of al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden and the martyrdom videos of two of the September 11, 2001 hijackers. Unlike other cases we've done, there was no clear ringleader, U.S. Attorney Christopher J. Christie said in an interview. They all seemed to feed off each other. They were clearly guys turning to this element for inspiration. They wanted to be jihadists. At the, time, at the same time, a 26-page indictment unsealed Tuesday indicates that the group had no rigorous military training and did not appear close to being able to pull off an attack. The arrests in the case began Monday night after two defendants arrived at a local home to buy assault weapons, which had been supplied and disabled by the FBI officials said. And the article goes on from there, but it talks about how, once again, this great plot was foiled when these these scary Islamic militants went to get their DVD, their videos, their jihad training videos copied onto a DVD at a store. So the uh, the gig was up and the FBI could really no longer continue to monitor this group, which had absolutely no ability once again to pull off this incredible Fort Dix attack on this army installation that they were talking about. No ability to pull it off whatsoever, but the FBI swooped in and just at the last moment busted this uh, terror. Police. Once again, I don't imagine that anyone in America's armed forces is living in fear of these types of uh, radical Islamists who uh, come together in this leaderless uh, cell to plot these ridiculous attacks on army installations. It is a total faux plot dreamt up and once again supplied by the FBI, supplied with the fake weapons that then they could go in and bust and say, look, they were trying to do what we said they were trying to do. So the Fort Dix 6, just another iteration of the Liberty City 7. And it happens again and again and again. 2010, FBI apparently set up U.S. teen blamed for fake car bomb. Boy told undercover agents he could get a gun because he's a rapper. (laughs) Authorized article containing jihad workout tips. A Somali-born American teenager was apparently set up by federal law enforcement officials who posed as radical Islamic fighters and lured the young man into a plot he believed would lead him to detonate a car bomb at an Oregon Christmas tree lighting ceremony. The bomb, provided by FBI agents, was inert and did not pose a threat to the public safety, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Oregon. Oddly enough... Arthur Balazan, an FBI agent in Oregon, contradicted the U.S. Attorney's Office, suggesting that the threat posed by 19-year-old Muhammad Osman Muhammad was very real. Except, at every turn, he explained, we denied him the ability to actually carry out the attack. Well, yes, once again, the Christmas tree bomb plot, another great, incredible, unbelievable terror attack plot that was foiled at the last moment by the FBI... And once again, the absurdity of it coming through, shining through from this would-be rapper who could get guns and who was writing articles about jihad workout tips. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. These people are complete morons and uh, literally could probably not get a job flipping hamburgers at a local McDonald's, and yet they are supposed to be the people that we are living in constant terror of and why we need the total uh, 100% Orwellian police state watching over us at all times in order to keep us safe from nitwits and dipsticks like these. Uh, let's move along. Um, this one coming from 2012. It says, "Unmasked, meet the FBI's bridge bomb plot snitch." This is talking about the uh those anarchists in Cleveland who were apparently going to uh, blow up a plot, a bomb, a uh, bridge in in the Cleveland area as part of their terror attack on the U.S. Their anarchist plot this time, not a not a Muslim plot. Well, this one again goes back to a paid FBI informant. This coming from the Smoking Gun dot com. The paid informant who helped orchestrate the FBI sting that resulted in the arrest of five anarchists for allegedly plotting to blow up an Ohio Bridge is a convicted felon who was arrested on bad check and theft charges in the midst of his cooperation with federal investigators, the smoking gun is learned. Shaquille Azir, 39, was named in a pair of felony indictments filed in January in Cuyahoga County, according to court records. Azir, who the smoking gun has identified as the informant in the federal bombing case, is accused in the indictments of passing bad checks on July 25th, 2011 and December 22nd, 2011. Azir, pictured in the mugshot at right, has been working as a source for the FBI since July 20th, 2011, according to U.S. District Court complaint, a a U.S. District Court complaint filed yesterday against the alleged bomb plotters. Wearing a body recorder, Azir captured the five self-styled anarchists plotting to use C-4 explosive to take down a Cleveland area bridge. And uh, some more follow up on on that from the Los Angeles Times, uh, Cleveland bomb case role of FBI informant will be key. And it talks more about this ragtag bunch of anarchists who were plotting to blow up a bridge near Cleveland. And once again, if you take a look at their mugshots, ooh, the fear will be put into you by this complete band of total nitwits who literally, once again, don't look like they could have uh, foiled their way, put, terrorized their way out of a wet paper bag, let alone pulled off anything so much as a bridge explosion but uh, another humorous uh, excerpt from this comes from that video that I posted up, "How to Foil Your Own Terror Plot," where it uh, I, I have a clip of someone on the news, the the talking head on the the mainstream media news, who was asked by one of the the hosts, "Well, what were they planning to accomplish by this? What was the point of blowing up this bridge anyway? How was this going to uh, topple corporatist America, as supposedly was their plan?" and the the man responds by saying well it's a bit uh, it's a bit of a stretch but the idea was that they would disrupt traffic on the way to work for people who lived in Cleveland and that would somehow cause problems for local businesses or something ridiculous along those lines and it's at that it's at those points of the stories where a journalist actually acts, asks a question that any normal human being would ask in that, that situation. What is it they were t- supposedly planning to accomplish with this? And that's where it all starts to fall apart and where you start to see, oh, I see, it was just another FBI plot, where the FBI informant was himself the one suggesting this. Um, We can go on and on and on and on. July of this year, we have this from Christian Science Monitor. Massachusetts man to plead in remote controlled plane Pentagon bomb plot. Rezwan Ferdows, a Muslim American from Ashland with a physics degree from Boston's Northeastern University, was arrested in September after federal employees posing as Al-Qaeda members delivered weapons he had allegedly requested. And it goes on and on from there, talking about this man who was going to fly remote-controlled model airplanes into the Pentagon, loaded with C-4 explosives. Again, just a ridiculous plot, and it wouldn't even really be worthy of comic book material, but somehow we're expected to live in constant fear of this, and to go along with the complete and utter destruction of the Bill of Rights in the name of this phony terror threat that is being propped up by these phony FBI terror plots. And again, it happens every single time there is one of these major terror busts in the United States. And for people who are really in the know, you'll know that even the 9-11 itself was very much along similar lines. Two of the supposed hijackers had been living with an FBI informant for a year prior to the attacks. And uh, it goes on and on from there. And of course, 1993, World Trade Center bombing, uh, people will know that uh, one of the people who was originally involved in that plot or part of that plot was himself an FBI informant. And we have the, uh, the tapes of where he was talking with his FBI handler. John Anterchev about uh, about that plot. And there's a lot to be said about that as well. But once again, the the tradition of FBI funding and training and supplying these would-be terror jihadists is definitely there. And it just goes to show that uh, that once again, this entire war on terror paradigm has been built on the quicksand of trusting in the FBI and the Department of Justice to be level with you when they're talking about the ability of these total knuckleheads to pull off these grand, spectacular terror. Attacks, so it's uh, it's definitely something that we can look into. And in every single case, it shows that there's nothing really to be afraid of, except for the police state that they are putting into place in the name of these terror attacks. Well, we'll come back to wrap things up and look at things from a geopolitical perspective right after these messages. All right, friends, welcome back to the final moments of tonight's episode of Corbett Report Radio. Once again, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and I encourage everyone out there in the listening audience who hasn't yet done so to take a look at CorbettReport.com and the archives there with literally thousands of hours of completely commercial-free media available for your download, listening, and viewing prep pleasure. So I hope you make use of that resource and all of the links to all of the information for tonight's episode of the broadcast and every episode of this broadcast will be available there at corporatereport.com slash radio. Once again, I do rely on your support out there. So to everyone who is a signed subscriber to uh signed up subscriber to my website, and who uh, donates at least 100 Japanese yen a month to the cause about a dollar 25 a month uh, to keep this website going i truly do appreciate your support but let's uh, finish up tonight's conversation about the fbi's uh, penchant for foiling its own terror plots which we've documented at some length and nauseam tonight and we could go much further into it but i just really don't have the stomach for it because it is truly the same thing every single time but let's finish up tonight with a an international take on how this works on the bigger geopolitical scale because the exact same trick can be used in uh, in other contexts as well as pointed out by tony cartellucci of the indispensable land destroyer blog at LandDestroyer.blogspot.com. He had an article in February of this year called Washington, D.C., FBI Foils Own Terror Plot Again. And he talks about yet another example of this. Quote, the Federal Bureau of Investigation has once again proven that the only thing Americans need fear is their own government, with the latest terror attack foiled being one entirely of their own design. USA Today reports that a suspect had been arrested while at the, by the FBI who was en route to the U.S. Capitol, allegedly to detonate a suicide bomb. While initial reports portrayed the incident as a narrowly averted terrorist attack, CBS would report that a high-ranking source told CBS News that the man was never a real threat. The explosives the would-be bomber carried were provided to him by, wait for it, the FBI during what they described as a lengthy and extensive operation. The only contact the suspect had with al-Qaeda was with FBI officials posing as associates of the elusive, omnipresent, bearded terror conglomerate. The FBI, much like their MI5 counterparts in England, have a propensity for recruiting likely candidates from rock mosques they covertly run. And then Tony goes into some of the history of exactly what we've been outlining tonight on the program, and then it starts to get interesting towards the uh, the end of the article here. The From, uh, sorry, the risks... Uh, The risk rises exponentially now, with Israel being confirmed to be training, arming, and directing U.S. State Department-listed terrorist organization, the People's Mujahideen of Iran, also known as Mujahideen E-Kalk, M-E-K. The U.S. has also played an extensive role in supporting M-E-K, who is currently carrying out a campaign of terror inside of Iran. This is part of a plot by the U.S. indicated in its own policy papers openly conspiring to provoke a war with Iran. And this is best encapsulated in the often cited quote from U.S. policy think tank Brookings Institution. It would be far more preferable if the United States could cite an Iranian provocation as justification for the airstrikes before launching them. Clearly, the more outrageous, the more deadly, and the more unprovoked the Iranian action the better off the United States would be. Of course, it would be very difficult for the U.S. to goad Iran into such a provocation without the rest of the world recognizing this game, which would then undermine it. One method that would have some possibility of success would be to ratchet up covert regime change efforts in the hope that Tehran would retaliate overtly, or even semi-overtly, which could then be portrayed as an unprovoked act of Iranian aggression. In other words, this is false flag terror, folks. This is how it works. You set up the enemy, you pay them, you fund them, you train them, and you either bust them if you want to get the PR victory, or you let the attack happen and you blame it on your political enemies. This is the essence of false flags. This is how it works, and this is how it's been working in the U.S. for the past decade, at the very least. That's all the time we have for tonight, folks. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be here tomorrow night. So until then, thanks for listening and take care.